morning. I'm really glad you guys are here today. I've got the privilege of uh, introducing our guest speaker today. His name's Bob Schwan. He's been around our church a lot. He sits on our council. And um, think about this. Our lead pastor left town and uh, asked, this, asked this man to uh, preach about uh, God and sex. And so he must trust him, right? He must, uh, he must really trust Bob. So he's got a fantastic message. So would you help me welcome him to the stage, please? Bob Schwan. Thanks, so. We'll see what Brian thinks when he gets back. He may not leave so often after today. But we are in the around journey here. We're in the third week of a message run that we've been calling Broken. The truth about relationships, sex, and intimacy. And most of us would probably agree that having healthy and fulfilling relationships is a big part of what life is all about. But our experience would also tell us that managing these relationships and navigating these relationships can be really difficult. The very first week when we talked in this series, we looked at this picture that God gave us from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. This picture of husband and wife, oneness and intimacy, the first married couple. In Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God gives us this picture of intimacy and oneness. They were naked and without shame. This vision that God gives us for oneness, I believe, is a, is a vision that's etched on our hearts from the time that we're even small children. We believe that somewhere this is out there for us. This last fall, I was coming home from work, and I was walking on the sidewalk to the front of our house, and the very, very front of our house, we have a, a lot of shrub roses out there, and they kind of bloom all summer long and even into the fall. And so it's, it's not uncommon for there to be just a lot of rose petals all around the sidewalk and around our yard. But as I, as I came around the sidewalk this time, I noticed that the roses looked a little bit bare, and there were a lot of petals out in the yard, but it was interesting. All the petals were in one little row right down the middle of our lawn. So I began to think, what in the world is going on here. And so then I thought, and I went and asked my daughter, do you know anything about these rose petals out in the yard? And she said, yeah, my friend and I, we were practicing for our wedding day. Six years old, practicing for their wedding day. Guys, that is why we don't get involved in wedding planning, because they've been thinking about it since they were six years old. We have nothing to offer them. But this picture of intimacy and oneness, echoes of Eden, I believe, ring in our heart from the time that we're even very small. But then if we just looked in the very next verses that come in Genesis chapter 3, we see that something bad happens. The serpent comes on the scene, and he interrupts the life of this oneness and intimacy. And this is what he does. He asks them a question that begins with, did God really say... Because the Lord had given him some specific instructions. But the serpent comes and he says, did God really say? He's sowing the seeds of doubt into the minds of this first couple. Can we really trust God and what he says? Does he really have our best interests at heart? And I think that's a question that the serpent still throws into our mind today in a lot of different areas. Did God really say? But I think that's even more true in the area that we're going to talk about 
today, this whole area of sex and sexuality. He sows those seeds of doubt in our mind. Can I really trust God with my sex life? And today our big idea, I've actually turned it into what I'm going to call a big question because I think it's a question that a lot of people are asking as it relates to God and sexuality. And this is the big question. Do I really believe God's plan? That marriage is the context where I will experience oneness and intimacy with my sexuality. Now I know just by the very nature of the topic that we're going to talk about tonight that it's going to make some people a little bit uncomfortable. But I feel like it's important that we talk real openly and honestly. And it's not going to make me blush to talk about it. And I hope that it doesn't make you too uncomfortable because it's my conviction that I don't think we talk about it enough in environments like this. I think there's too much at stake, and I think the consequences are too great for us to not begin to think about what is God's perspective on sex and sexuality. And I'm also motivated to talk about this because I don't feel like I've lived a very great life in this area of my life. If God were to hand me a pile of do-overs in my life, I think I would apply every one of those do-overs to this area of my life. I didn't come to Christ until I was a little bit later in life, and it gave me plenty of opportunity to step out into the deep weeds of sex and sexuality. And so as I come here tonight, or this morning, I'm not really thinking to tell you, follow my life because my life is one of perfection. But as I filtered through, what are the things that I want to share? The things that I think about is, what might have been helpful to me if I had known as a young man? What things might have got my ship turned in a different direction so that I wouldn't have had to experience the consequences and the scars of stepping outside of what God wants to do in our lives in terms of, our, in terms of sex and sexuality? My hope today is that you can learn from my scars in life. And when we think about this topic of sex and sexuality, there's probably about as many opinions on this topic as there are people. On one end of the spectrum, there are people in our culture that really believe that sex is God. Sex is the central thing in life. It's almost to be worshipped above anything else in life. Now, they may not exactly say it that way, but when we just look at even how our culture relates to sex, this is what we would observe. We are, live in an incredibly sex-saturated, hypersexual culture. Sex impacts just about everything that we do. It's in our TV. It's in the media. It's in our mailbox. It's in our inbox. It's in our sandbox, for crying out loud, where our kids play. Our kids are exposed to so many images and messages related to sex. It's unbelievable. I was thinking about this just a couple months ago, or just a month ago, watching the Super Bowl uh, with my kids and seeing some of the commercials that were in the Super Bowl. I don't know if you guys, if you watched the Super Bowl, if you remember one of the Doritos commercials that, were the, that they showed. Uh, this guy is standing out on the street corner and he's holding a Dorito in his hand and there's a beautiful woman walking down the street. And he looks at her and he takes the Dorito and he eats it and the woman's dress flies off. And there she is just standing there in her underwear. So I'm sitting there on the couch with my eight-year-old son, and I just look at him, and his eyes just get big. And then he looks at me like, what the heck is going on? And I just said, you know, but I think mom just buys us the regular Doritos. I don't know. 
And then if we look at just the pornography in our country, the proliferation of the porn industry in our country. And I just recently heard statistics related to this that were mind-boggling to me. $17 billion a year spent in the porn industry in our country. More money spent there than all major professional sports combined. In our culture, sex has become the number one spectator sport. If you thought baseball was America's number one pastime, think again. Much of our country is fixated on sex. They wrongly believe that sex is God. But maybe on the other end of the spectrum, there are people out there that they're trying to push back against the sexual indulgence in our world. But they come to a conclusion that's equally as wrong. And that conclusion is this, that sex is gross. Sex is wrong. Sex is disgusting. But they try to tell their kids that because they want to protect their kids from sex in our culture. But what they say is sex is gross. Sex is disgusting. So make sure you save it for the one you love. It's not the message. It's not the message that our kids need to hear. Sex isn't God and sex is not gross. But the Bible talks about what sex is. And it's this, sex is a gift. That's the Bible's perspective on sex. Sex is God's gift to us. And I can tell you definitively today that God is absolutely for sex. It was his idea. It was his invention. The intense pleasure that can be experienced during sex, that was God's idea. Props to God for that, huh? High five. Way to go. Opportunity for us to enjoy that. I was thinking about having a conversation with my oldest son about sex, and we'd talked about it a lot, and I could tell that there was just a, there was a question on his mind, and so I asked him, is there, is there something you want to ask me? And so he just said, can you just tell me why you and mom have sex? And I kind of felt like I was on the spot a little bit, and all these things are running through my mind, but the only thing that I could come up with is, son, it is really, really fun. You know, there, there might be more profound answers that you could give, but there's probably not a more honest answer. Sex is fun. But this is where we get a little bit defensive when it comes to God and sex. God, if you made this gift for us, you made it so amazing, you made it so fun, why would you be restrictive with that? God, why would you tell us that this great gift that you've given us, that you only want us to experience that in the context of marriage with one man and one woman? God, that just doesn't seem fair. It just seems like you're, you're just being a cosmic killjoy. You're just trying to think about all the things in the world that are fun, and then you just tell us no to those things. You're just this big hand slapper in the sky. We've got to come to the question, or come to the point where we ask the question, why would I trust God in this area of my life? And I think this question that we're talking about here today about God and sex is more a question about faith than it is even a question about morality or willpower or temptation. At the bottom of it is the question, what do I really believe about God? How do I view him in this area of my life? On the one side, we can say that, maybe think that God is our adversary in this. That God is sitting on the other side of the table from us and he's just got his finger pointing at us, and he's saying, you better not. You better behave. If I catch you having fun doing anything, anything, I'm going to get you. 
If we view God as an adversary in this, it's going to be, we're going to have a difficult time trusting him and following him in this area of our life. But on the other side, what if God is our ally? Not our adversary, but he's actually our ally. He's not on the other side of the table, but he's on our side of the table. And he's got his arm around us. And he's saying, I've got a great plan for you. I made you and I made sex. And I know how it works best. My heart is for you to experience the best sex possible. Would you just trust me? It really matters whether we see God as an adversary or an ally. And whenever God places a restriction on anything in our life, there's two questions that we need to ask. If we know that God's heart is good for us, and I believe most of us do, the two questions that we need to ask is, what, is, what does God want to protect me from? What does God want to guard my life from? And a second question is, what does God want to provide for me? Because you see, God doesn't go around just kind of willy-nilly putting restrictions around things just to make our life miserable, just to take all the fun out of life. God's got a plan. What is it that he wants to protect me from? And what is it that he wants to provide for me? Because whenever God says no to something in our life, the reason is because he's got a big picture yes of something that he wants to provide for us in life. As we take the opportunity to step into the scriptures and get God's perspective on this, we need to realize that we are not the first people on the planet that have wrestled with this question with God. We're going to look at a letter today that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christ followers in a city of, called Thessalonica. Now oftentimes we might think that, well, sexuality today is much different than it is then. That's not true. Sex was as mainstream in this culture, if not more so, than it is in ours today. And one of the things I wish we could do, but we don't have time to do it, is to look at this letter as a whole. Because if you looked at this whole letter, you'd see that there were things that were going on in this church that Paul was so proud of. Their faith was amazing. And because of their great faith, God's kingdom was being advanced in the culture. They were having an impact on the culture around them. But when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul begins to talk with them about an area of their life where the culture is having an impact on them and causing them not to pursue God's best for their life. And that was the area of sex and sexuality. And in 1 Thess 4, starting in verse 3, Paul gives us God's perspective on sex. Verse 3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. He makes it very, very clear. This is God's will. You know, there's so many times people say, I I just want to know what God's will for me is. Well, the Bible states it absolutely emphatically here. It's God's will that you would be sanctified. Now, the word sanctified is kind of a theological, churchy term. But what that word simply means is to be set apart. To be set apart for God and set apart for holiness. And oftentimes when we think about that idea, we can think, well, it sounds like what's going to happen to me is I'm going to be set apart from anything that's fun and being set apart to holiness. Well, that just sounds boring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss out. I'm going to miss out on fun and I'm going to be put into something that's boring. But what we need to realize is God knows us better than we know us. This picture of being set apart for him 
There's a preferred future that he has for us, a big picture that he wants for our life, even more than we want it for our life. And that's what we need to say yes to. We need to say yes to God's preferred future for our life. But Paul tells us what it means to pursue that vision for our life. And it means this, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And that word sexual immorality, the Greek word that Paul uses there is porneia. And it's kind of a catch-all, broad term, junk drawer, meaning any kind of a sexual relationship outside of the context of marriage. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, anything outside of the context of marriage. What Paul is saying is, is if you want to pursue God's best for you, this big picture vision for your life that he has for you, it means that you need to separate yourself from sexual immorality. Those two things are mutually exclusive. God's best for you and sexual immorality, those two things don't mix. They're mutually exclusive. Now Paul states the standard that God has absolutely clear. There's there's really no ambiguity there. The standards are clear, but to live that out in our life is absolutely hard. It is so difficult in the world that we live in. If we simply just do what comes naturally to us, if we just do what we want to do, what everyone around us is doing, and what our culture tells us is normal, it'll move us absolutely away from God's picture for our future and will move us right toward the sack. That's exactly where it'll take us. And this whole idea of God's preferred future being separate from sexual immorality, this is a message that Christians in large part are not buying. People are not buying what God is selling in this area. I was talking to a friend recently, and uh, they've been meeting people on eHarmony. And uh, they were kind of explaining the process to me. And uh, when eHarmony makes a match with them, they can open up their, their general profile. And my friend, when they, when they open up a general profile, one of the things that they're looking for all the time is this person saying something about the fact that God is the most important thing in my life. There's nothing more important to me than God. And so if they see that in this person's profile, then they can start a conversation with them or email or uh, begin to do some things. Well, this person, the first thing that they do is they ask four questions of every person that they open a match with. And one of those four questions is, what do you think about premarital sex? And it's been kind of a shock to my friend because more than half of the people that on one hand say God is the most important thing in my life, more than half of those people say, I'm open to it. You know, let's get to know each other first. You know, like, like it's some kind of an offer to them or something. In large part, Christians are not buying what God is selling in terms of his standards of sexual immorality. And it gets down to that core question. Do we really trust God? Do we really believe that God has our best intentions in mind. Paul goes on to explain to us, if we really do trust God with our sexuality, it's going to involve what we read in the next verse. And that's this, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. You see, there's a contrast that Paul's making here. On the one hand, there's people who know God, They know what he's like. They know his character. They know his heart for them. And their response to him is that they learn to control 
their body in a way that is holy and honorable. And on the other hand, there's people that don't know God. They don't know his character. They don't know what he's like. They don't know that his heart is good for them. And so they live their life in passionate lust. You see, it gets back to this same idea again that this issue is more an issue of faith. It's what we know about God and what we believe about God. It's not just morality. It's not just overcoming temptation. It's not just willpower. At the very core, it's what do we believe about God. But Paul is telling us is that if we want to say yes to God, that means that we need to bring our sexual desires under control. And in this, Paul is saying that our sexual desires are not bad. In fact, we stated that from the very beginning. They're not bad. In fact, they're a gift from God. Now, for some people, this causes us to pause a little bit. And we say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. God gives us this great gift, but then he tells us that we can't use it except for in the context of marriage. Why would he give us these desires if he didn't want them to use it? It just doesn't seem like God is playing fair. And here's why this is so difficult in my mind. I want you to think about God's intention for our sexual desires to being like this small flame right here. This is God's gift to us of our sexual desire. Now that flame there, it's safe, it's contained, it's under control. You know, this has been burning for the whole service. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but I doubt that anyone out there has been nervous about this. Like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? There's that flame there. What if that thing gets out of control? Probably no one's had their heart pounding because of that here this morning. But if I were to take this gas can and shake it up a little bit and think about what, what if we just pour a little bit of gas on top of that? You'd probably be thinking in your mind, what are you doing? What are you thinking? If you dump gas on that thing, that thing is going to get big and it's going to get out of control. You're going to burn down Brandon's stage and he's going to be upset. The picture is, this is what it's like in our life, walking our sexual desire through the culture that we live in. Because we have a culture that tries to take this small gift that God has given us, and it tries to inflame it into a place and grow it into a place that God never intended it to be, except for the context of marriage. Things like the things that we see on TV, the things that we, get, we can get exposed to on the internet, and movies, and romance novels. Things that are constantly telling us, if you're not sexually involved, you're missing out. Everybody's doing it. You're a freak if you're not doing it. Everything in our culture tries to take our sexual desire to a level that God never intended it to be. God's intent was that we would take the small flame of our sexual desire, and we would put it into a fireplace a fireplace that he calls marriage. And in the context of that fireplace, you can pour all the fuel on there you want. Dump on the wood, dump on the gas, let it rip, and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be safe. That's the context that I have for your sexual desire. But we've, we're going to talk a little bit later about how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our sexual desire in this culture that's constantly trying to pour gas on our flame. The next thing that Paul says, I think, is probably the most sobering thing that he says. 
And it's this. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. If we choose to just go our own way in this deal, if we choose to say, God, thanks for the advice, but I'm going to take this into my own hands, what we do is we remove ourselves from God's protective umbrella. And what God says is, you're going to expose yourself to the consequences of stepping outside of what I've asked of you. God exposes us to the consequences. And when we think about consequences of stepping outside of this in our life, what are, what are we talking about? In our culture, we seem to focus primarily on the physical consequences of sex outside of marriage. We focus primarily on, on unplanned pregnancies and STV, STDs and HIV, AIDS. And somehow, if we can just protect our body from those things, then we'll get out of this extramarital sex thing or premarital sex thing unscathed. But I don't think the physical consequences of sex are actually the biggest consequences that we face in our life. I think the bigger consequences, consequences we face are the emotional pain and the scars that are left on our heart from our sexual experiences. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about guilt, I'm talking about shame, I'm talking about hurt in our life, I'm talking about regret in our life. I saw this ad that I think makes the point very, very clearly. You see this pile of condoms, but at the bottom it says, too bad they don't make one for your heart. Too bad they don't make one for your heart. You can protect your body with condoms, but you can't protect your heart. And this is the, this is the idea. God designed for sex to be something that would bond two people together. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We read in, in Genesis at the very beginning that man shall leave his father and mother and he would be united to his wife and the two would become one flesh. This idea of one flesh is not just talking about biology. It's not just talking about a physical union. It's talking about emotional union and a spiritual union. God's math says that one plus one equals one. He wants our hearts and minds and souls to be knit together. But sometimes in our culture, we have this picture that we can just bond to anyone and everyone that we want. We think that our, that our heart and our mind is like a sticky note. You know, I can, I can bond myself sexually to one person. And then, you know, well, that doesn't really work out. And so end that relationship, move on to another one, hook up with someone else. And we just think that we can move our life around from place to place to place without any damage being done to our life. But this isn't the kind of bond that God is talking about when he's talking about becoming one flesh. When God's talking about becoming one flesh, he's talking about the kind of bond like one on an envelope. And if you've ever sealed an envelope and then later you try to, you try to open up, you want to be really careful because you don't want to mess up the envelope, but you try to pull and it just seems like you should be able to do it, but you work at it. And it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't come apart. It wasn't made to be ripped apart. And then in the end, you never end up with a clean break. 
There's pieces left behind. That's what happens when we bond ourselves to people physically, emotionally, spiritually. Pieces of our heart, pieces of our life get left behind. Those are the consequences that God wants to protect us from. Because he designed sex to be incredibly powerful, incredibly memorable. That those experiences would be etched on our heart, etched on our mind, etched on our soul. Some of the greatest consequences uh, in my life have been the fact that there are things that I've done in my past that have put images in my mind, memories on my heart. Things that I do not want to have in my relationship now that I have with my wife. But there's intruders into that. And you know that if you've experienced that yourself. There's memories. There's baggage. God wants to protect us from that. Because there's going to be a day that we find that one person that we want to have that oneness and intimacy with for the rest of our life. And we don't want anybody else to be a part of that. Just them. We don't want to carry that baggage into our life. And God wants to protect us from that. And God is asking us over and over again, will you trust me in this area of your life? Will you trust me? Will you just believe? Would you just believe that I've got your best interests at heart when it comes to this? And it's easy to to think about wanting to have God's best for our life. But when we think about what it actually means to pursue that in our life, it's very, very difficult. I want to tell you that I think if you want to pursue God's best in this area of your life, it's going to be an uphill climb and it's going to be against the flow. You're going to have to make intentional choices over and over to protect your life. I want us to get real practical here just for a few minutes and talk about some things that you can do to protect your life and experience God's protection. The first thing is to guard your thought life. Guard your thought life. Be careful about the things that you expose your eyes to. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about sex in movies. I'm talking about romance novels. Whatever it would be that would dump gas on your sexual desire and take it to a place where God never intended it to be. And whatever you do, don't limit your purity to just things that you're acting out on in life. Guard your mind. Your mind is the most powerful sex organ that you've got. And oftentimes, and I would say almost all the time, we compromise in our mind long before we ever compromise in life. And Jesus said it this way, and he made it crystal clear in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What Jesus is making absolutely clear here is that God cares as much about what goes on in your mind and in your heart as what you do in your life. We can't say to ourselves, well, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never, I don't sleep around with people. But if there are things that are going on in our thought life, a fantasy life, God is saying you need to deal decisively with that because it is gonna lead to your destruction. I care as much about what's going on in your mind and your heart 
as, what's your, as what you're acting out on in life. A second thing that we need to do is set boundaries in our relationships. If you're in a marriage relationship, you have got to protect that relationship and be very careful about how you would relate to anyone of the opposite sex. And if you find yourself in a situation where you find yourself attracted to someone who's not your husband or who's not your wife, you need to build a barrier between you and that person. Don't do things that foster that relationship. You need to build a hedge of protection around your relationship with your spouse. And maybe if you're in a dating relationship or maybe you're not in a dating relationship now, but you kind of wish that maybe you were in a dating relationship, I think now is a really good time to begin thinking about what are my physical boundaries in that relationship? How far is too far in my physical relationship with someone? You need to think about that. You need to understand what it is that God wants for you specifically. And you need to talk about that with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. So it's, it's a, out on the table, above board. We are not going any farther than this in our physical relationship. And the question that I get asked a lot, because you know, I work with college students, is the question that they ask is, well, how far is too far? And most of the time when someone's asking me that question, I kind of wonder what the heart is behind that. Because I don't think they're really looking for the exact answer. I think what they're thinking of is, I just want to know how far is too far, and I'm going to push myself to the very, very limit. It's not like they want to protect themselves. They just want to figure out, how far can I go and still feel okay about myself? What I would say is maybe if there's a, if there's a spectrum, maybe holding hands on one side, going all the way is on the other side. I'd say if you're going to make an error in judgment, err on the side of caution. You know, I've never had anyone that's ever told me that they've regretted being too sexually involved um, before they were married. Um, The regrets that people have is because they were too sexually involved before they were married. If you're not planning on jumping off the cliff, then there's no reason to put your toes right up to the edge. Build margin into your life as you set boundaries in your physical relationships. If you're not going to jump off the cliff, then there's no reason to go to the edge. And I think it's really helpful to think about what your standards are now. It's not helpful to try to discover what your standards are in the heat of the moment when things are progressing. Because that, it's just too hard to, to make decisions then. And then in, in the spectrum right here as well, one thing I would say is that wherever you land, you've got to realize that there's a, there's a slippery slope there. The things that were physically exciting last week, you know, they're not quite as exciting this week. And next week, they might not be quite as exciting yet. And so our, our tendency is to always be pushing ourselves toward the, toward the limit. Guard yourself. Build margin into your life because you're on a slippery slope. The third thing is to stay out of compromising situations. Stay out of compromising situations. There are certain environments that you can be in, that you just know that's going to be danger for me. If I put myself in that situation, I'm going to be in trouble. For some people, it might be, you know, I can't be watching TV or surfing the net late at night when no one else is up in the, in the house. 
because I am just tempted to look at things and see things that are going to elevate my sexual desire to a place that God doesn't intend or to have my sexual desire directed towards somebody that God doesn't intend. We've got to protect ourselves from those situations. There are times that I've actually had conversations with college students and um, they'll say something along the lines of, well, you know, I was, I was alone with my girlfriend last night and we were just kind of hanging out in her dorm room and we're on the bed and watching this romantic movie and we started to kiss a little bit and, well, we got tempted. I'm just thinking, really? You were in that situation and you got tempted? You know, it, I'm thinking if you're in that situation and you don't get tempted, I'd have more concerns about you than if you were tempted. You need to keep out of those situations that you know are going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. Stay out of compromising situations. A fourth thing would be accountability. Don't try to walk through this area of your life alone. You've got to bring people into your life, at least one person, if not a group of people, who know what's going on under the hood in your life. People who love you, who love you enough to be gracious to you, but they also love you enough to ask the hard questions and to say the hard things that need to be said. You can't do this alone. Sexual sin, it's just like mushrooms. They just kind of, it just kind of grows in the darkness. If you want to deal with this in your life, you've got to open it up and let God's light shine into that. Let the light of day shine into things that are going on underneath the surface in your life with a handful of people that you trust. We've got to have accountability. And if you're here today, and this has been an area that you failed in in your life, or maybe it's an area that you just feel like I'm failing in this area in my life right now, the thing that I want to encourage you to do is you need to receive God's forgiveness. It's never too late to turn away from these things that we're pursuing and turn toward God and to ask him for forgiveness. To move away from those things and to move toward God. If you read the Bible at all, you know that the Bible is full of people who have failed big in the sexual area of their life. If we were all perfect, we wouldn't need the cross. God wants to offer us forgiveness. Maybe you're out there today, but you're saying, maybe you would say to me, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's gone on in my life in this area. And the thing that I would have to say to you is, nope, I don't know. I have no idea what's gone on in your life. But what I do know is that God does. He knows exactly what's gone on in your life. And it's his opinion that matters most. And he tells us, over and over and over. It's never too late to start over. Turn away from this. Turn toward me. Trust me with this area of your life. Give this area of your life to me. One of the most difficult things about giving this sermon uh, this week wasn't the nature of the topic. I'm I'm not afraid to talk about sex. And like I said, I think we need to talk about it. And it wasn't even being honest about my own life. The most difficult thing about giving this sermon was thinking that my 11-year-old son was going to be sitting in this service this weekend. 
and thinking that I need to have a conversation with him before this weekend because I don't want to have him hear from me up front what's gone on in my life. I want him to hear it from me. And it was one of the most gut-wrenching things to take my son, my little man that I love and I care so much about, and I've talked so much about sex with him and God's perspective on sex, but to sit down with my little man and tell him what's gone on in dad's life. It was gut-wrenching. But to look across the table at my son and to ask him, son, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for not being a very good example for you in this area? And just to watch his face, his face just lit up and he smiled and he said, dad, of course, of course I'll forgive you. And what that did in my heart and how that made me feel, that is just a shadow of how it feels to experience God's forgiveness in this area of our life. Because you see, my son, he knows very little of the details of my life. But you know what God knows? He knows it all. He knows absolutely everything. And God says to me, it's not too late. I can redeem your life. I can buy your life back. I am a God of redemption. Just trust me with this area of your life. I've got your best interest at heart. I want you to just, as you set your things aside, I want you to take some time to go to prayer and just ask God, God, is there anything that you'd want to say to me today about the sexual area of my life? keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a few more moments one thing that the Bible tells us and my experience has confirmed to me over and over and over is that God's plan for my life it's always better than my plan for my life and the most important piece of God's plan for us is beginning a relationship with him because every one of us in some way have decided to go our own way our relationship with God has been broken. And I don't know where any of you are at today in terms of your desire to have that relationship with God restored, but what I do know is that God has reached out to you and he's made that way possible. I know that he loves you, he values you, and he wants you to know him. Maybe today it's become clear to you for the first time that there is a God that is real, he's personal, and he wants to have a relationship that will last forever. You realize that God has offered you a great gift of forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross for your sins. If you're here today and you want to take that gift of forgiveness and that gift of a restored relationship with God that he's offering to you, I want to help you do that. You can do that by expressing these things in your heart to God. God, I believe with everything in me that you are real, that you love me, and that you want to have a personal relationship with me that will last forever. But God, I admit today that I have sinned, and as a result, I've been going my own separate way, away from a life connected to you. 
God, I need your gift of forgiveness. God, thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, to die in my place, to pay the penalty for my sin, and to make a way for me to have a restored relationship with you. Jesus, I ask you today to come into my life, to clean me up from the inside out, and to give me a fresh start. Starting today, God, I make you the boss of my life. If you took that step toward God today, I want you to know that I think you've made the most important decision that you'll ever make. Such an important decision that we don't want to let this moment pass without giving you an opportunity to let someone know that you made that decision today. With no one looking around, and I promise that I will not do anything to embarrass you or draw attention to you, I just want to ask you to lift your head and slip up your hand and make eye contact with me. And by that, you'd be saying, I made that decision today. You can do that now. Over there on the left, I see you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Right there, little guy, I see you. Absolutely. Is there anyone else? Don't want to miss anyone. God, we are so grateful that you are a God of redemption, that you are a God who buys our life back, even when we've made mistakes. God, I pray that you would help us walk through this area of sex and sexuality in our culture with your perspective and your hand. God, we need you in this. We can't do it alone. In your son's name we pray, amen.